Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Final hour, Tuesday edition. Shows are flying by. Hopefully uh, it has for your workday as well. If you're on your drive home, we appreciate you. If you're listening to the podcast, appreciate you as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Six the Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, headlines out there, Joel Embiid uh, with an exchange with uh, Raptors coach Nick Nurse telling him to stop you know, complaining about calls. Uh, that's you know, get the player on coach back and forth, the opposing coach. We've seen that quite a bit. I'm not so sure we will see the back and forth like we will see between Kyrie Irving and Boston fans as this as this series continues. And and if well, it I continues six or seven games and you have a deciding game back in Boston, buckle up. Well, I like what Nick Nurse said. This was before Joel Embiid's version of the conversation. And Nick Nurse probably tamped it down. But he said, uh, he said, if you keep following me, I'm going to keep hitting free throws. And I said, you might have to. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good that's the kind of banter that yeah, i like yeah now Embiid said you know i told you to stop. what did he say stop fouling me no he said stop stop, stop bleeping about the about fouls calls. but he, he said it like stop talking about fouls even stop whining about Embiid him. said it in a very polite way <laughs> uh he, he said look he's a great coach um, and right. he said, obviously, what he's been able to accomplish, I've always been a big fan, but I told him respectfully, Stop shut up. bleeping about the fouls. Yeah, which is, which is fine. And Meanwhile, their strategy was clearly to foul him a ton. There, there's a lot more hate going on between Kyrie and, well, you could oh, say yeah. any fan base, but specifically Boston where he played. And Chad, I know you wanted to pick up on the, the fines, the double bird, yeah, and everything I, I in between. I want to get into this. this. This falls under the uh, uh, people that believe everything is racist category. Uh, this is a tweet from Ashley Nicole Moss, who covers the NBA, who tweeted out, Eli Manning flipped the double bird on ESPN and, beca- and it became a meme. And Kyrie does it and it's now a think piece. Come on, man. And of course, all the immediate responses, oh, you already know why. You know why that's the case. If you can't tell the difference <laughs> between Eli Manning telling a story about a kid in Philly flipping him the double bird and showing the double bird while he tells the story. Right. And Kyrie Irving giving the double bird to an entire crowd. I really can't help you. These are not the same things at all. And I don't care about Kyrie Irving flipping a double bird behind his head to the crowd in Boston. Also, I'm not someone who believes it's a think piece on, you know, the definition of the middle finger and the bird and all that. But give me a break. I mean, I'm I'm with you. why, Why do we treat people like they're stupid? Yeah, and, and this is this is an agitator that leads to more things. Like what, what's again? I, I keep bringing it up, but what's next in the line of these matchups between Kyrie and Boston? Which, by the way, was a classic game. 
we've talked less about the game and more about the the antics involved because that's the hype and that's the drama behind why you would even tune into this series now. Well, here's going to be the the here's going to be the bad recipe, the recipe for disaster in this series. You get a game in Boston where there's a frustrating series of fouls, no calls, yeah. scuffles. Yep. The Boston crowd is getting aggressive. pissed at the officiating, and Kyrie Irving is letting them hear it every time that there's a controversial no call or something happens, and he's getting more and more into it, and then you reach a boiling point and something happens. You know, something happens where Ky- someone throws something at Kyrie Irving. That's what the league is, wants to avoid more than anything. Malice in the Palace. You know, someone does something from the crowd that sparks Kyrie Irving to go after the person or say something back that leads to more people getting involved, and, and then you have a situation. Not unlike Tennessee Ole Miss this year, where it was the perfect storm of Lane Kiffin coming back, inciting the crowd with fake injuries, mixed with the crowd being frustrated over a touchdown being called back, mixed with the crowd getting frustrated over not getting a first down, on it, a fourth it, it down, can lead to mixed that. with you know all this stuff going on, and then stuff gets thrown on the field because idiots can't contain themselves, and they're going to get worked up. But it took the perfect recipe of all these things happening to lead to, to that incident. That's what you want to avoid if you're the league. Where we are right now, to me, it's just fun. You know, It's fun to watch Kyrie Irving talk trash with the opposing crowd. As long as nothing's thrown at him, there's no physical altercation with with a fan or anything Something's else. Something's going to happen. It's fun for it me to happens watch. happens here in this setting. It's more likely to turn into something bigger. We talked about this yesterday. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go over a wall to get to somebody. Um, you know, f- drunk or fan, drunk fans are closer to these guys to take better aim when they throw something. All it's more combustible. It's also Boston. Yes, that too. I mean, we're not talking about I mean, Oklahoma City here. Who had a great atmosphere when they were relevant in the playoffs? But this is a different type of crowd when it comes to pro sports. So that's something to keep in mind. I don't know what the Brooklyn crowd is going to be like when this series shifts to Brooklyn. Well, he won't. I be- know what the Knicks crowd would probably be like. I don't really know what the Brooklyn crowd would be like. Well, Brooklyn he won't. Crowd's he, hip. He won't be. They don't have I don't think he'll be blazing the middle fingers at a home crowd. No, but I'm saying if 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 the Celtics it's were to. Counter will return volley with some of the players, and it gets he, it like, gets heated there. It's it's Kyrie and the former teams. Uh, back in January of this year, he was fined twenty five thousand dollars for heckling a fan in Cleveland, where he walked by and said, "Got y'all a championship," and Mother Effer's still ungrateful, <laughs> and they find him twenty five grand. He doesn't care. I mean, he was fined eight hundred seventeen thousand dollars for health violations, health safety protocol violations last year. He doesn't care about these fines as long as he feels like he's in the right because of what these guys are shouting at him while he's playing on the floor or sitting on the bench or walking to a locker room. It's making like, $33 million. I was curious about the context of the fines. Yeah, I mean, any of those NBA dudes. <laughs> the making, fifty grand is it's just not the same. Isn't that crazy, yeah. though? Fifty grand is just nothing. Yeah. You sneeze at fifty grand. I, I, 34.9 this year base. I, I, and I, um, I don't know. I just feel like with him specifically, um, things can escalate, escalate. Not necessarily with him, but by him doing this, what does that do uh, with a guy who's been overserved by one or two drinks and sitting in the fifth or seat? Four or seven. Five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How many 
How much more likely are you to watch more of this game, though, now because oh, of this? Oh, no doubt. Tomorrow night. This is great for the NBA until it's not great for the NBA. Uh, and again, it's all, if, it's all if this fun were, and games if until this someone were the playoffs, connects with something. If this were the playoffs after Malice in the Palace, we wouldn't be seeing highlights. Nope. They would be treating this like playmakers on ESPN, and the NFL had them take it down. Um well, they're, the players would be under. I mean, they, they, they we wouldn't have. Uh, you know, you got jacked up segments for because of the CTE and concussions. Those those quickly went away. If the NBA with ESPN, if they said, "Hey, let's not let's 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 pump the brakes on glorifying the fan and, and player interaction," yeah. they would. They'd be putting sedatives in the in the Gatorade buckets. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get this guy under control. I'm only uh, partially kidding. Kyrie may be doing it anyway. For I mean, who, again, who knows? I mean, they controlled like, the way the guys dressed. Yeah, they, they yeah. went to a dress code after that. That was that was a big part that of what fixed, they blamed. That fixed the entire problem. I mean, if you could control what a guy's wearing coming into the arena, <laughs> then everything's taken care of. <laughs> but Chad, you're you're absolutely correct. I'm tuned in now, much more. I mean, the, this actually gives me a reason. I brought this up with you, Paul, yesterday. I, I, it would include me in this. It would require me to watch all four quarters of the NBA in, a, in this time of year to be able to tell you the polite trash talk that goes on or a PG-rated trash talk because I, I just I only know this based on the hype and based on the last three minutes of a game. I don't know what. At, at least at least with this, it gives me a reason to tune in before halftime. Does it require you to tune in before halftime? Halftime, they'll show you the highlights. I want to watch this live. I do want to watch this. If a game. fight breaks out. I'm going to watch it live. Yep. I'm, I'm here for the drama. I, I, I want to watch all of this game now. The, ne- the next incident might push me into the first half. This gets me started Well, in the if you quarter. mix this in with someone gluing Maybe. themselves to the floor in protest, then I'm really all in. Then I'm watching all four quarters if that happens. Timberwolves not involved in these games, Chad. One other point for Ashley Nicole Isn't that Moss, the by the way, that I've mentioned in the tweet. Yeah, uh, you know who else cussed on that broadcast, on, on Manning cast? Ashley Nicole. Marshawn Lynch. And it was a joke. He cussed all the time on there. And it was a joke. He was cussing on live TV and no one cared. Again, not a racial thing. Marshawn Lynch, by the way, is... This guy's invested in everything. Everything. Th- everything uh, that's a winner. Yeah, he's got every... I mean, Paul, you, you mentioned that he's gotten... Uh, he's got, what, Airbnbs, everything from that to restaurants to... I think he's in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, everything. He, he's was, got in, he was, in, he yeah. was in the latest season of Westworld on HBO. He acted. That in show Westworld. still exists. I think. I mean, it's been what? like three years since it's been out, but they're doing. He a was third in season. Westworld. Yes, he was in what? He was one of the bounty hunters. Clearly, you're not with uh, close with Aaron Paul. Attention. It was Aaron Paul's I, I uh, part not. of the show. You got to study every detail yeah. of that show. You you can't blink and keep up. With he what's had very going on few on speaking show. parts, but he was around quite. Well, a that's bit. appropriate. He not speaking. He didn't want to speak. He to plays the media a lot and... of parts where he doesn't speak. Yeah, well, but he plays it well. I mean, he he has. He is invested in a lot of different areas to where he's he's a mogul. He's probably I mean, got a chunk of Uber <laughs> I mean, Eats. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What um, was the um, what was the restaurant that's the viral video of him when he's in Buffalo that he always went to? Was it Applebee's? There is sure. a video. I'll, I'll show it to you guys during the break. Okay. I'm sure Adam, our production assistant, can find it. Also, it is hilarious. It's him doing like a hard sell on why it's either Applebee's or Chili's. Uh, forgive me for not remembering which one, but why it's the best bar. In America. It's where he went all the time in Buffalo when he played for the Bills. And it's just him like, you get this appetizer. It's the trio. It's the best. And he's like selling it on camera to everyone. It's great. Um, I love him. We're going to get to A.J. Brown and, and value for the wide receivers across the league. 
and the, the type of money that's being invested in that position. That's coming up. First, though, uh, Lane Kiffin in the headlines again. Nico getting the NIL money, and Kiffin's made a reference to East Tennessee. Not ETSU. <laughs> uh, making a reference to Knoxville and the money spent in NIL for the five-star quarterback in high school. Yeah, so, and I'm looking here. I'll give you the shortened version yep. of the quote. This is on the Rich Eisen show uh, today with, with Lane Kiffin. He says, you're going to have all these, talking about NIL, you're going to have all these locker room dynamics where now you're reading, you got a player coming into school over there in East Tennessee for $8 million that hasn't played it down. And you've got a locker room saying, wait, now what if this guy doesn't play? How's that going to work? How's that donor going to feel that paid all that money when the guy's not even playing? So you got a lot of things that haven't been figured out at all. Uh, what Lane Kiffin is saying is exactly what we've been saying about some of the pitfalls of NIL. There's a lot of truth into what he's saying. And while he didn't name the player and didn't name the school, we all know he's talking about Nico Iamaleava in Tennessee because those are the rumors and some of the reports out there. Um, this is also fascinating to me that The Athletic, who's all of their college writers have been on a crusade to get players paid for a long time. I've argued with many of them that it's not just as easy as pay the players and everything's going to be hunky-dory and we live in this Pollyanna world. There's going to be issues you have to figure out. And many of them have argued back with me on it. They all wanted this done. It's done. NIL exists. And now they're putting reports out about, well, just how much players are getting paid. And I wonder if the NCAA has a problem with this because it's against their rules because they're not on campus yet. And they've been promised this. They've got a report today. I think Stuart Mandel has the report. We know of uh, one three-star player getting five hundred grand. We know of one four-star player getting one point five million. Getting over it the, now or when they arrive? Over the course of four years, promised it. Okay. When they arrive, signees that have been promised this. We've seen the contracts. They said on this, it was not. They did not have one for eight million dollars. For those curious, that they had seen, uh, but that they had seen these contracts, and I'm thinking. Do you really want this, or do you want to report on it and ask if the NCAA is going to investigate now? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think the NCAA is going to investigate. I think they're powerless when it comes they to are this. Powerless. I've got a Lane Quif Kiffin question, and I know you're a big Lane Kiffin guy. Yep. I'm sure he speaks of Old Miss, and it's not national news. But, I mean, does he just walk around whining all the time? Because he's been in the headlines once a week for the last six weeks bitching about somebody's NIL. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I, I find him really annoying. Shut up and go tend to your own program. You're not going to tear down A&M's NIL or well, Tennessee's NIL, so go figure out a way to compete with it. I think he's, it the, he's one of the coaches that actually has the balls to speak up on it. Yeah, well, well, what's, I think he's, what's he, what's he going to – by balls to speak up with it, I mean, he's not going to change it. I think it's it, his way of complaining about his own setup without calling out his own people in a way, too. I, I think, Paul, it well, is, where are his people it is a little bit it? of whining on his part. Because this, it sounds like a guy who's saying, "What was me? What was me?" I'd, I'd like to get that eight million dollar quarterback and have the resources around me to get it. He's not opposed to it. He's not saying I'm opposed to kids getting paid. It's just here are some of the issues around it. But he can't He's help himself about the to bring up for everybody else. else. He loves to bring up other people. He's always been that way. I, I think in in some ways it's whining. In some ways it's really smart because Lane Kiffin has always known that. He, he has to do this at Ole Miss to get attention. It's not just good enough to get national attention at Ole Miss. It's not a program that's going to get you national attention 
unless you're bringing attention to yourself. My biggest issue with Lane Kiffin at times at Tennessee was they weren't in that position when he took that job. He treated Tennessee like a minor league job. He came in and said, we want to be the USC of the East. And at the time, I'm thinking, Tennessee's fine. They've been fine for years. They had a couple of bad years, but they've been in national contention for a while now. You don't need to do, play that game at Tennessee, but he treated Tennessee that way when he was there, which I, I don't think was warranted. By the way, he also brought up the fact, he talked about Bryce Young specifically, Alabama's quarterback. And he said in the interview, if you're a great player, let's say you're Bryce Young after the national championship last year, which they didn't win the national championship last year, Georgia did, said you should go in the portal, even if you want to stay at Bama, because all you'll do is drive up your price because then the collectives will come in suddenly with more money to keep you. So even if you didn't want to leave, you go in the portal, drive up your own price, and get more money to stay. That's a smart observation. I don't have an objection to that one. But. Lane Kiffin's always welcome on the show, and if he wants to talk NIL, I'll absolutely entertain it because I'm not going to entertain the boring same – I mean, consider uh, – of course he has to do that at Ole Miss. He has to drive up the conversation and get attention. He's doing better than Mike Stoops driving attention at Kentucky and getting an extension for winning seven games in a season or Eli Drinkwitz wearing a Darth Vader costume after a victory – or you know, we go around the go around the horn here a bit with some of the other coaches across the SEC. Kiffin is relevant because he's Lane Kiffin. Well, he makes Ole Miss relevant by doing interviews and discussing literally any topic you want to bring up. And like it or well, not, that's fine. the that, biggest I'm not part endorsing of this, those other guys, I'm just annoyed well, with his whining. Well, they, right they now. keep their mouth shut, and no he's one talks also, about their though, program. He's also most relevant in part because he talks about other programs directly. I mean, every time right. he mentions Tennessee. It's a national story. So he continues to mention Tennessee in interviews. Right. He'll be as relevant or not relevant as, as Ole Miss's uh, here's, wins oh, and Oh, and lost. by the way, this is not me defending Kiffin at Ole Miss because he would go, he would go to Miami in a heartbeat. Kiffin I mean, it, wants it, out. He would go. Uh, I, and then, I, and I firmly four believe, years, he would want out of Miami. I firmly believe that Kiffin looks, it looks and sounds like a guy to me that wants the next big opportunity in his career. But he's also not afraid of competition. Not at all. Or confrontation. No, and I, I'm not <laughs> I mean, saying, and I'm not saying that to say he hates it at Ole Miss or the people there, or any of that. I'm just saying, I think he's fully aware that they probably topped out last year. Well, right in that division, he got them to a yeah. Sugar Bowl, had right. a potential first round quarterback. That's the best Ole Miss has done. They've never been to the SEC right. championship game as a program. They're the only program outside of A and M uh, in the West, but hasn't been there the whole time. That has not been. So I think he's looking around saying, we probably, we probably hit the ceiling a year ago. And he doesn't, Miami, for instance, where he was rumored. Well, they haven't hit their ceiling in a while. They can go up, up, and up. So that would be a spot he, that would interest him. Or the NFL. The thing about Kiffin, he's going to make his mark at the transfer portal. And if you're bidding in the transfer portal now instead of bidding for the five stars, that's where other... Clubs or other, other organizations, teams are coming in, uh, programs and, and plucking the guys away. That's why he didn't end up with one of these top, top upper echelon transfers. You know, he ended up with the backup from USC who threw for 1,000 yards to challenge the incumbent that's taking over uh, in, in, in Ole Miss. I, I, I mean, it, we're also, I mean, he's, I would argue he has Ole Miss more relevant than the University of Florida right now. Billy Napier. Yeah, I would agree I mean, with that. I haven't Ole heard from Miss Billy Napier. Ole Miss football is more relevant today than Florida. Yeah, that 
like, something you never thought you'd see. Kiffin's got it to there. Now, do they take a step back? They absolutely could. There's a reason why he's entertaining uh, options to get out. But whatever he's done to this point has worked to the Ole Miss extent. Like, well, I'm not, we're, I'm not sitting here comparing them to Alabama or uh, Arkansas's on a roll. Arkansas's doing it uh, in a different way, and they're they're doing it by not the, the Kiffin method. They've they've done it around culture and relevancy for that program. But I think he's perfect for Ole Miss. He's we well, yeah. absolutely. I think but, for but, a job a job of that level, and I'm, this is not a knock on Ole Miss, but they're not the top half of that division. They're never going to be that as a program. You can occasionally get in that top half, but there are issues in the state of Mississippi getting players outside of the state to come to Ole Miss at times. Just reality. I see. Mississippi I, State faces the same reality. I think that's why was, he's good for that place. I think what he's saying he's he's mentioning a lot of like Nico getting eight million and some other guys who are get. Oh, I hope they show up and get paid what they're promised. I think where he's really missing the the point, and maybe he's pointed this out and I haven't heard it, is in the transfer portal. Because that's where Ole Miss benefits. And, I mean, it, he's not outbidding Texas A&M at Tennessee. If he's still the head coach of the Vols, he's not outbidding Texas A&M. Alabama's struggling to do that. Yeah. That's why Saban's pointing it out. But where he could win is the one, two, three guys who are looking for uh, a jump up to the top conference after going from a three-star to a four-star player, and he's losing that on those guys too because of NIL and open season. He's also losing out some of his own players, I'm sure, who are jumping. So the Ole Miss boosters are just never going to step up to a next no, they, level? They they're will, at a level, but, but not not to the – There, there's the power five, and then there are the directors of, the, of college football. There are team owners. Yeah. Ole Miss doesn't have a team owner. Right, they have sweet holders, but uh, the T Boone Pickens isn't walking through the door, Chad. I think that that's the difference between A and M and Alabama and well, LSU. they can they can get concentrated in how they approach it and where they've done that as the transfer portal. Jackson Dart, Zach Evans, they've brought in big time transfers from other places. Jackson Dart from USC, Zach Evans from TCU, a big five star running back, so they can get concentrated of okay, we'll give this transfer this much money in the portal to bring them in. Whereas A&M is sitting on an ocean of oil and they can say, we'll give five hundred grand to all 30 uh, yeah. incoming freshmen if we want to. That's the starting price, then we'll go up from there. I, I, I think that's the difference. I understand, Paul, what you're saying because he's repeating a lot of the same stuff. It's just in he's a different form. That he's There's around. a theme, but he's willing to stick with the theme. He's willing to... Yeah, he's banging Be the voice that uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher's calling a clown show up in Oxford. Kiffin doesn't care about that. He's no, poking he the bear. It. He loves it. That's a victory for Lane. He's responding to it. And he's thinking, this is great. Uh, and Jimbo's not going to dare call Nick Saban the clown show. So think about all this from, a, from an NIL perspective, okay? Uh, Tennessee today landed the number one recruit in the state of Tennessee, Caleb Herring yep. from Riverdale. He's got an older brother on the team. Here are the top 10 teams in recruiting for next year right now. Think about this from a money NIL perspective as well as the programs involved, okay? USC is one. Notre Dame is two. Georgia, three. Alabama, four. Ohio State, five. There are no surprises there. These are national brands that are in the top five, right? Now, 
Texas A&M 6, Tennessee 7, Penn State 8, LSU 9, Arkansas 10. There are no surprises in there to me other than you could point to maybe three of them. And these are the three I've said from day one are ahead of everyone else right now in NIL. A&M, Tennessee, Arkansas. Maybe in that order. Arkansas has a huge opportunity to rise because they are the only game in town in that state. And there is a lot of Walton money behind the Arkansas Razorbacks program. There is an opportunity there. Tennessee, they've been down recently. They got a lot of financial support. So those, A&M, same thing. I mean, A&M hasn't won a national title since the 40s, I think, but they're going to be relevant now with this. Georgia's three. Okay. So Tennessee competes with Georgia. Um, The problem that A&M has is they compete with Arkansas and Bama. And the problem that all those teams have is they compete with the other two that you would be naming. So you've got, uh, you, you kind of, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're losing Eating out to other. all of it. Meanwhile, if you start looking at the other conferences, you've got Penn State and Ohio State, uh, USC in the Pac-12. Who else is out there? Well, I mean, in the, you could add Michigan into the mix every now and again, but who are the two programs that will always be there in the top 15? Ohio They're, State and Penn that's State. That's it. Uh, and then it's LSU, Arkansas. Again, the only real outliers that you could argue are A and M, Tennessee, and Arkansas from the SEC. But we could step and repeat this every year. Yes. You're going to have Georgia, Alabama, LSU every year. Florida, when they get rolling, every year will be top ten, top fifteen. Tennessee, I think, and A and M have a chance to be top ten every year. I think they have a chance to join that mix. I think Arkansas has a chance to be right there with what they're willing to pay. We'll see. We'll see if it can last. But Tennessee, A&M, Arkansas, off to a good start. A.J. Brown and the value of wide receivers right now in the NFL. Big discussion topic when we come back. Would you sign these guys long-term or build through the draft where you can find a number of wideouts to fit your specific needs? That's next, and now kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. There is a clear top value for wide receivers in the NFL. Big money to the teams that don't have the franchise quarterback, or at least they're undetermined. Outkick 360 rolls on. Case in point would be in Miami, trading and then paying big money to Tyreek Hill. Devontae Adams gets paid the five-year contract at the time, the largest for wide receivers, and then Tyreek Hill was traded and one-upped him. Um Derek Carr signs a very team-friendly contract, got paid, but only a two-year extension on a on a on what ends up being now a three-year contract with this final year and two more years tacked on, and and it brings up the question of the of the group of receivers that are saying they're not going to do any on-field work unless they they get a new contract this off season. AJ Brown's one of them with the Titans. 
and I say they, their their management, the report is is coming through their management team, um, through Schefter and others. I it brings up the question: Are these guys worth that top money? And the top money, I'm not saying beats out the two wide receivers I'm naming with Hill and with uh, with Adams. But if you just look at the top paid wide receivers for 2022, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs gets, gets $24 million. DJ a drop. DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin are all getting 20 plus Amari Cooper's getting 20 from from Cleveland. That that drop, I think that's the range in there between the 24 for Diggs and the 20 for Moore and the others, an average yearly value. I think that's where I would put A.J. Brown in there. Stephon Diggs is on his last year, but Stephon Diggs is a better receiver, has a more productive history, and I would, I would rate him as a better player than A.J. Brown. I, I think he would be a step below that, but right there, which would put him you know, conceivably fifth in the league, fourth or fifth in the league, just pretty damn good when you're considering that Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are well, one Diggs, and two. Diggs just got paid. Yeah. I mean, you got the, what, the four-year, $104 million contract extension. But that, that's like so, – so if you're coming out of year three, first year to, to negotiate an extension right now, if you're one of these four guys, you start pulling the numbers, and, and all of them can make a case for how they impact their, their team and their, their respective rosters in a very positive way. And in uh, a very similar um, way. A, AJ uh, to me is a he sets himself apart from the group. I um, based on the like we can we can look at season numbers and then I can tell you those dudes aren't making the type of catch that AJ Brown made whenever they clinched the AFC South in Houston in 2020 uh, to set up the game-winning field goal by Slowman. Yeah, I I would I, I would agree with you in taking him um, first. But their per-game numbers, which I know are skewed because, like, Debo Samuel really has done most of his work in, in the last season and in 10 games of the last season. And his clearly – great. His numbers are, great. are skewed. Yeah. His run numbers are, uh, are off the charts compared to, uh, to others. But their per-game numbers are really close. High 60s per game. Uh, 0.6 touchdowns for, for AJ and another a little less than that for the others. Very similar in catches and everything else, which adds more credence to your excellent point. You want to, if you're the team, you want to be the first one to sign. If you're the player, you want to be the last one to sign. So in that regard, AJ Brown shouldn't be in such a hurry. AJ Brown should want to go last. You want to go last or you, you, Want a great deal. <laughs> or you want to wait it out and get paid based on the leverage of your contract expiring instead of the, the cap, the, the, the tag, which would be, what would, what would it be for him? But going first isn't the best case scenario. I mean, it's the top five. I think the receiver tag the was average 18 of, this but, year. But it's going up, though, because yeah, so it's the average of the top five salaries across the league for that year, right? Well, for the last five years, unless you're – Something, something. But I, I think it was 18 uh, this year. The best individual season, you can argue, came from Debo Samuel this year among the guys. Um, but when you think about the explosion and the explosive plays, 
A.J. Brown is the leader of the pack. And, and this is what I would be putting out there. I wouldn't be deleting team names from a, a social media bio. I would just simply say, last year, let's just look at last year, three of Ryan Tannehill's five worst passing performances came when A.J. Brown was not able to play. And they were one and three without him. One, one and three. Uh, that one win um, was it. Well, I can't remember the one win without A.J., but the, the, one of the two games where he did play, and it was one of Tannehill's worst performances, was the first game without Derrick Henry in L.A. on Sunday Night Football. And uh, they chose to run the clock and ran it well and had a great defensive performance and won the game. They beat Jacksonville 20 to nothing without him. Okay. And then um, their, their other win or excuse me, their, their, the other worst performance, passive performance, was Miami in bad weather here late in the season, which was just an atrocious game. They lost to the to Jets. Nothing. The offense was yeah, terrible. Yeah, they beat the Jets. They beat the Jets 20 nothing. They lost to the team. Jets without them at the Jets. They lost at New England without them, and they lost at Pittsburgh without them. And two of those games are against, at the time, solid AFC contenders. New England faded, and Pittsburgh was a playoff team. There, there are three wide receivers since, since Randy Moss entered the league. There are three wide receivers that have averaged at least 16 yards per catch, at least 24 touchdown passes, uh, receptions, and then at least 2,900 yards over their first three seasons, uh, and the 24 over their first three seasons combined. 2,900 yards combined over their first three seasons. Only three receivers who have done it. AJ's one of them. Randy Moss is the other, and... Uh, Mike Wallace is the third. I mean, that, that's a that's a three-pack that, I mean, you pay those dudes. Um, and I'm not saying the Titans are choosing not to pay him. I'm just, I understand where A.J. Brown's coming from based on the money he's due next year. And I would say, I would also add in this if I'm making the point for him. Uh, among active wideouts, the most catches of 39 yards or more, so the there are explosive plays. Some define it as 15. Some teams define it as 20. I'm going up to 40 yards. Over the last three NFL seasons, Mike Williams has 21 of those plays of 40 or more. Massive game-changing plays. Stephon Diggs has 19, and A.J. Brown has 16, and eight of those went for touchdowns. So he's taking plays 39 yards or more for scores. That is the explosion that... You just can't go get in the draft and say, you know what, we can find this guy again. Yes, there's a different factor there. I can go, I can find a slot receiver, and I can, I can get you a possession guy, but unless you're getting just the the the, the entire package that encapsulates what AJ brings, which is this mentality and uh, the the alpha dog esque feeling, size yeah, and the, speed. everything. Yeah, um, and, and Traylon Burks, Trey Burks from Arkansas, I think is that guy. I just don't think he's there for the Titans whenever the Titans select. I, I, I don't think you can go just manufacture this type of production in the draft. I, I think you, you could make the argument that elsewhere you might be able to, but I, it's a very interesting dilemma for some teams now based on like Christian Kirk getting what he got paid, right? And, and, and others who just look around going, that, that, that type of money for him in Jacksonville – that's not nearly the same value as what A.J. Brown no. brings you in Tennessee. And Christian Kirk's another one of those guys. We talked a little bit about it when you were out last week. Um, we had it in the rundown for a while. Carson Wentz, nobody was bidding 
for Carson Wentz. So why did the commanders give up what they gave up to get Carson Wentz? Well, look at the two franchises Christian we're talking Kirk, about. I don't know who was driving up Christian Kirk's price. I'm sure there was a market for Christian Kirk, a market for a high-end slot kind of guy. Jacksonville surely didn't have to pay what it paid for Christian Kirk. It's well, almost like look Jacksonville the, has the cap space and they want to make a statement. Paul, look at the but two organizations. But it screws things up these are, for everybody else. These are checkers, not chess organizations. Yeah. We're talking about the Washington Commanders yeah. in Jacksonville overpaying for someone where there was no one else driving then the price. Then it screws up the those, market. Those two moves do not surprise me at all with those franchises, given their history. Then Christian Kirk's salary helps screw up the market. And I want to make one I'll, more point. Let me, make it, let me make it one point on A.J. Yeah. Brown that Hutton was saying. To me, it's this simple. If you plan on competing to win a Super Bowl this year, you re-sign A.J. Brown and give him whatever he wants. You get it done, you get it out of the way. If the goal is win the Super Bowl this season, you do that. If the goal is long-term sustainability and bargain hunting and making sure we have flexibility in the future, then you don't sign him to an extension right now. I, I think it's that simple for the Titans. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I said yesterday, I think, they acknowledge certain pieces, make them what they are. They could fill in around those pieces. They did that with Harold Landry acknowledging, you know, and Harold Landry's a lesser player at what he does than A.J. Brown is, but he's a necessary piece of what they have. A.J. Brown certainly is, and that's why I expect they'll, they'll make a play. And, and the to, difference, to keep him. Some would, I've heard some, some people say, well, uh, uh, Harold Landry waited on his contract extension, and then it worked out, he got paid. Yeah, Harold Landry didn't blossom until other players got around him. Right. And then it, my point with AJ is this dude has been bringing it since he was drafted. Unlike no any player we've around. seen, you know, since Derek Mason was a receiver here. Yeah. I mean, Julio it's, been, Jones, it's been a while. Julio Jones was supposed to make him better. Right. Julio Jones was a non-factor and he was, he was still great. Here, here's a, something that we hadn't thought about, which I think is very interesting. I, I'm against the Titans drafting a quarterback in this draft because I think they should just get a weapon or get the guard or get whatever that helps make this team better worry about the quarterback next year when they'll have more options. Um, but we're all in consensus that this should be Tannehill's last year and they should advance to something better next year. But our thinking is they can do better than Tannehill. This is from Ryan McChrystal, who writes for Warren Sharp, friend of the show. And uh, it's very interesting to me. I hadn't thought of this at all. He says, the Titans are built to win now, even without elite quarterback play. So why continue paying Ryan Tannehill when they could save a ton of money to use elsewhere by plugging in a rookie contract. Tennessee's been visiting with quarterback prospects, so this scenario is definitely something they've discussed. So he has them picking Desmond Ritter, right? Blake Benningfield, my scout, says, well, you know, he likes Matt Corral the best, but he says high-end Matt Corral is the same as Tannehill, so why get the same as Tannehill? But McChrystal here is saying, if you get the same as Tannehill, you're a good team, you get him, and you get him for $3.5 million instead of $40 million, and think of what you could do with the team around them saving all of that money. This isn't necessarily an elite quarterback team, but you can be an elite team with a quarterback playing at Tannehill's level who's maybe not botching it for you in the playoffs. And that's what that's I've never what thought been, of that. You've been talking about the money element, that's but what we've this all is. been looking for better quarterback play. If you've got the same quarterback play, Without the botched well, playoffs it's, uh, and the money, that be maybe that's enough. You, you have to have more. You you have to at minimum just be adequate. You have to be more than adequate at quarterback. Uh, you've got to get the pick right if you're going young. Um, but you 
are in a situation like the Chargers are in a situation where they can take advantage. They got the pick right. Yes. And they can take advantage of a quarterback going into year three on a rookie deal where he's not eligible for a contract extension right now. So before he gets his payday, you can build around him, which is what they've done. You can't do that in Nashville. You can't do that in Kansas City. You can't do that in Green Bay. The top teams that have been built through quarterback money, you can't do it. But if you're not if you're paying your quarterback too much and, and he's not you're good. not able to extend pieces around him and he's not consistent enough to be in that upper tier, you move on and you go young and you save money at the position That's and really, you get the pick right for three years before you have to pay the cash cow. If you think about how much they've got invested in Ryan Tannehill, their roster is pretty damn impressive. Sure. To have the front four that well, they've had, to have the back end that they have. Here's what A.J. Brown means to Ryan Tannehill or any quarterback, but Tannehill specific because this is a stat pertaining to him. In the games where Tannehill did not have A.J. Brown available last year, he averaged 5.2 yards per attempt. Now, this is an offense that was not explosive last year, even with A.J. Brown. But when A.J. Brown played, they averaged eight yards per attempt. Three yards in the NFL is massive. And with he, when he was not on the field, they got zero from their passing game. Yeah, he was no hurt separation. last year, and they had wide receiver depth issues and wide receivers falling like flies. And, and when Julio he's on, Jones not available. When he's on the field, he comes back from injury, he has a game like he had against San Francisco on Thursday Night Football. Where, Just I mean, carries him. Car- carries him in his first game back. Again, uh, I think Carries him a, in a game they still don't go to him enough. They don't really right. get to him until they, the second half. Yeah, uh, invaluable. Um, I think everyone agrees with that. I would select him first of the group we're discussing, even though McLaurin has better numbers. Moments matter. And A.J. Brown has had more opportunities for the moments because he's been playing in the AFC South with the Titans and not in the NFC East for Washington. And when they pay him this big money, we, we've said this for a couple of days now, they've got to use him more. Uh, you know, he doesn't have to turn into the Henry of your team. You've got a couple more years of Henry probably. Right. But use him more. Force it early. Be determined to get to him. Don't, don't go with this nonchalant, well, you know, he wasn't in the progression in the first quarter. No, get, get him the damn ball. What to watch tonight? That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Get options tonight if you're looking for some sports on TV. NBA playoffs, Hawks and the Heat uh, tips off in about 35 minutes or so. Um, Early. A little bit later. I, I'm hoping that I'm, what I'm looking at is Eastern time. Maybe this is automatic central. Uh, Timberwolves Grizzlies tonight. So we get to see Memphis in action. After first losing round of the game one. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota leads that series uh, 1-0. That game's on NBA TV. And Pelicans and Suns, number one seed Suns, uh, they are 32-9 and nine at home. 
They take on uh, the Pelicans at 9 o'clock. Also tonight, oh, by the way, the, the Brooklyn plays uh, Boston tomorrow. Yeah. That will be a huge headline tomorrow. Never enough time between games. In there the should NBA also playoffs. never be three days in between. Oh, uh, yeah, no. These people a, gotta... a game where you don't travel. Like yeah. Minnesota, Memphis happens Saturday afternoon. They, they should be playing Monday at the latest. At the latest. Should be playing back to back if you're in the same city. It's all about it's all about building for the weekend programming. Yes. For ABC. You know, how they match up, who they want. They want Boston and Brooklyn on ABC Sunday. On Sunday, yep, Sunday afternoon. Uh, Kings and Ducks tonight on ESPN. That's a late uh, face off, as is Braves Dodgers. Ten ten Eastern. Um, is where you can uh, find Braves and Dodgers on TBS. My guy Max Freed going on the on the bump tonight for the Bravos. Yanks at Detroit. Hopefully, Detroit uh, is not as good as Baltimore. Chad, I failed to even ask you what did Freddie Freeman do in his second at bat. I didn't see it. I, oh, okay. I got back to Better Call Saul, okay. which was far more entertaining for me than well, watching the Braves we, we, we know lose he, to the Dodgers. We know he didn't hit a home run because that we would know. No, that. In this, that was his that. first home run of the season too. He had four hits against the Reds. By the way. The Reds, since they're the owner's son, Phil Castellini, made those comments about, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? If someone buys a team, they're moving it to be more profitable. They've not won a game. They were, uh, they made, I don't know what happened last night. They were 0-6 I don't know since he made that comment. Expectations were real high. Yeah. Would they have won a game either comment or not? Well, they won two games against the Braves. That was the only two they won all year. They split a four-game <laughs> well, series you, the It Braves. is April. They're, yeah. they're the Braves Orioles are, of, Braves are, you know. Kind of stubbing their toe here to start the season. I think five and seven now after last night. Ah, It'll be okay. Can't defend. Can't defend it. They'll hang around. Can't defend it. I'll tell you, can't hit is Anthony Swanson. They've got till August. They've got till August. I'm in Joey Gallo. They'll pick it up. (laughs) I'm not too worried right now. Join us for Wednesday. Primary complaint, Dan Dockage, and more. You can join us on the podcast wherever you find your audio. In the meantime, for Outkick 360. Do not block the box, but kindly lock your locks. See that? Lock.